screens are everywhere, more and more with little kids and little eyes, and we have a question about how to make the most of it to help kids read. Welcome to this episode of Your EdTech Questions. Oh, hey, Amal. Oh, hey, Zach. So, welcome to another episode of Your EdTech Questions. Are you excited about our question? It is so good to be here, and I'm very excited about our question. All right, so this one comes from an amalgam of different posts uh, and tweets and questions headed in ISTE's direction, Um, and it it is basically summed up as this. Uh, If I am working with early learning, so let's say pre-K through two, uh, students, what do I need to know about helping them learn how to read in a classroom that includes digital devices? This is such an interesting question. And you know that this is something I don't know a ton about because I teach high schoolers. And so this is something I'm really excited to learn more about. Would you say that you are clueless on this question? 100%. Oh, fantastic. So what, what, uh, what are you expecting to hear? Like what, if, what's your gut reaction as somebody who works with, with secondary students on the reg? This is something that I think I've heard a lot of parents still try to navigate. Um, my advisees, for example, are in the 10th grade and how they use technology and how they um, navigate different um, apps and resources digitally that help them learn is still something that comes up in the upper grades. And so I'm very curious to see where this gets started for really young kids in school and how that takes shape in their classes and in their technology use in class and at home. Uh, and we should tell people, uh, tell our listeners that on this go round, it was just me talking to somebody who's a little bit smarter than us. So, so what do you think, Amal? Should we raise this question with somebody who's a little bit smarter than us? Absolutely. I'm thrilled you took the lead on this one. All right, here we go. Hey, Amal. Hey, Zach. Guess what? What? This episode of Your Tech Questions is brought to listeners by ISTE Membership. Tell me more. Well, ISTE members can take advantage of the newest member perk. They can plan engaging lessons with Discovery Education's STEM Connect platform. Members get free access through June of 2019. Ooh, tell me where I can access this. (laughs) It's surprising you asked. You can learn about this perk and all the other ones available at ISTE.org slash membership. Nailed it. All right, I'm here with Lisa Guernsey, Deputy Director of Education Policy Program and the Learning Technologies Project Director at New America, also co-author of Tap, Click, Read, Growing Readers in a World of Screens. Hello, Lisa. Hi there, Zach. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. So we have a question we're trying to get an answer to, um, which is what do teachers of our youngest learners need to keep in mind when they're helping those students learn how to read in a world of screens? So really the subtitle of your book, made us think that you might be the perfect person to talk to. This is one of the key questions and key worries that a lot of educators and parents have today. Um, And it comes down to recognizing the very different environments that children are learning to read in compared to several years back or several decades back when there weren't mobile technologies um, in their lives to either lead to distractions or provide platforms for learning. But 
there's just so much that's different about the environment now that we do really need to dig into this question. One of the things that is it has occurred to me as I think about this at a, at a district level is that uh, our understanding is shifting over time because we are just learning what it's like for little for little brains to be with screens, right? We did we, we this is our first generation to really kind of grow up with consecutive or concurrent print and digital. Is that is that right? Is that are we still learning a lot of this stuff? We are, and there are studies going on just you know even this very moment that will hopefully give us um, more insight. But one thing to know, and I think that can be a reassuring thought, is that. In the early days of children's television, whether it was with Mr. Rogers or Sesame, Sesame Street, even Blue's Clues, studies were being done then to try to better understand how young children, even as young as two and a half or three, were understanding information when it was coming to them in a form that was different than their parents reading them a book. And so we do know a lot from those studies. And they also are really important in helping to make sure that whatever is designed today is of high quality. So, for example, one of the key things that's come out of that research from decades ago is testing with young children whether they're really understanding what they're seeing, um, what they're what they're hearing, whether they're following the story in front of them. And when I was um, working on an earlier book called Screen Time and had two little ones at home, two toddlers at home, I remember being quite surprised to learn that these studies showed that it is it is quite hard for little kids, for instance, to understand flashbacks on a screen or to follow the movement of lots of characters when there's lots of cuts and pans. So that information has helped to help TV and app developers to be using qualities on the screen that are much easier for children to follow and that recognize their cognitive capacities um, and that can help them move kind of from point A to point B and give them some learning moments along the way instead of just being kind of a, a just an onslaught of information that's almost impossible for a young child to follow. So, so some, I'm hearing uh, something more linear is is much easier for the for a young child's brain to kind of process and keep track of as far as comprehension. Is that fair to say? Exactly, and that's and that's just one of many qualities that the researchers have have come up with um, in their in their um, testing and experimenting. But that's an example of the kind of information you need when you're developing materials for little kids. The other kind of key point that came out of that research from, especially from Sesame Street, and that continues today in looking at electronic books or apps um, or different games, is that we know from these studies that children learn much more when they are with their parent or educator sitting next to them talking about what they're seeing. And this comes also from the research on just children's books, print books. Um, we know from research on how children um, are learning literacy skills from children's books and illustrated print books that if you have um, a parent or a teacher who can pause and ask the child to reflect a little bit on what they're seeing, to, to point to things on the page, to ask questions about what they think is going to happen next, that those interactive moments, those joint learning moments around the media are what really prompts learning for kids. So it sounds like a combination of of high tech and high touch at the same time, it, it sounds like is a, is a really important piece as well. Yes, yes. High tech and high touch is exactly the message that we have in this book as well. And and that high touch piece is 
is really critical. And we do have concerns that the more that electronic media um, becomes so incredibly sophisticated and, and yes, flashy, but also can look like it's doing a better job uh, teaching than a, an adult, that some parents or educators may feel like they need to just step away and let their students or their children just engage without them. And that's actually the wrong thing to do, that uh, parents and educators really do have an important role to play and that they can be right there with their kids and can be learning together with them. And that's where the real magic happens. So let's talk about uh, an educator who might be saying, in a, in a, like, let's say a kindergarten classroom um, who's, who has you know, a set of iPads. Um, or tablets of some sort uh, in their room. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm just trying to get these kids used to letter names and sounds. Uh, the screen is just going to be a distraction. Uh, what, what are some good steps that you would say, you know, if you incorporate this into your practice, you're, you're much more likely to meet kids' needs or to help them become better readers? I think that's a fair concern that teachers have. And if there is not a real strategic plan for how to use those iPads, and in, in particular, what content they're going to be putting in front of the young children using those iPads, then you, you do have a recipe for disaster. So teachers and principals and other kind of instructional coaches need to be really careful about what they're choosing to put onto those devices and, and those tablets, what kind of apps they're going to make available to kids. And then think about how they connect to the learning goals they have for those kids in the first place. So um, is, there, is there something that they want to be working on in the fall that's related to both letter identification, but also maybe storytelling? If that's the case, um, looking for apps that allow for um, children to hear see letters um, and and hear their sounds, but also to build stories of their own and use maybe audio software dictate their own stories um, to feel kind of a sense of agency and using the the new devices um, to build books uh, maybe in conjunction with their peers or their classmates or their teachers, um, so that you're really using the most that you can out of the new technology while also not just um, putting kind of a a worksheet or a very boring kind of flashcard lesson in front of kids. So I'm hearing uh, acts of creation uh, are super important and making sure that kids are, are building some things to, to create some artifacts of their learning. Is that, is that a fair way to say it? Yes, absolutely. In fact, those acts of creation that children need to start understanding how words work together, how stories are told, those are so critical and yet they're often missing we find in early childhood classrooms and in early elementary school classrooms. So one of the things that was exciting in doing the research for this book is that we found that there were teachers that really wanted to bring back that act of creation into their classroom, but use new tools to do so. So everything from, you know, an, the ebook creator apps that are out there to just simply using the photo um, and camera functionality on these um, devices and then putting together slideshows with children, um, whether it's either them kind of dictating and on, uh, recording their voice and audio or having even just teachers write underneath those photos what children have said and what they've noticed about the photos. Those are key ways to bring in that act of 
of creation and help children understand authorship and what choices are being made when photos um, or stories, um, lines, sentences are being put together. So again, that's the, to my mind, that really is the opposite of a flashcard learning environment. It's really um, setting up the environment so that kids are the ones that are making some choices and using the new tools, but to talk about their world or to talk about and describe what they've seen or to tell the stories that are in their heads. And and so that's kind of what we're t- working toward. What are some red flags? I mean, when you hear about some digital tools in front of young young learners, what are some red flags for you that are kind of, oh, no, let's not go down that path or uh, oh, that's designed actually against what we know about how, how good readers uh, start getting formed? One thing that is is troubling when when we see it out there is that iPads or some sort of tablet will be distributed to a classroom, and then teachers aren't given a lot of advice or counsel on what to do with them or what kind of content to put on them. And so they'll go to the app store and they'll just search in the education category for um, literacy app, and they'll take whatever the first thing is that comes up. And we know from our research, um, and we did some deep analysis of the app store in this book, that Many of those apps that rise to the top, that are the most popular apps, according to whatever algorithm um, Apple or the Android stores have, those are not the best apps for kids. Those are not the ones that have been tested to be really good for literacy learning. Those are ones that maybe parents have... um, enjoyed them or they've just heard that other parents have enjoyed them or or they like the colors or they look easy or they're free. <laughs> Often it's just that they're free. And so that's why they're chosen. Um, and if you look at who's really behind those apps, often you'll find there's no literacy expert involved. There's no child development expert involved. In fact, in our research, we found it was um, this tiniest fraction of a percent of literacy apps for children under the age of eight had any early literacy experts involved at all. It was like between two and 3% of the apps had any literacy experts involved at all. So we have a real problem here when our our educators, they're being kind of asked and prompted to use these new materials, but there are not good pathways to get to the really well-designed, high-quality materials for their kids. And often those are apps that cost money, um, and yet there's not um, a, a setup in schools to pay for them um, or to recognize kind of what it's going to take to keep them maintained and updated and to do that real training on them. So part of it sounds like uh, doing a little more research than what's necessarily uh, in the user reviews and the in the app store. Uh, but it also sounds like building some time for folks to to really dig in and, and learn what they need to be looking for as they're as they're picking some of these resources. Yes, and that that professional time is is so important in helping to kind of build professional learning communities or whatever you might want to call them, kind of cohorts of teachers that can work together and um, pull out materials, look at them together before putting them ever in front of a of a classroom, really kind of dig in. There are resources out there that can be helpful for teachers in doing this. Um, and we, on, on our tapclickread.org website, we have created some one-pagers um, with um, information that, that teachers could use and reflect on. One of those one-pagers is a, a list of 
app reviewers. And we looked at the types of app reviewers that are out there so that teachers can better understand what are the qualities different app reviewers are using. So for instance, there's Common Sense Media and its um, education kind of category, and it's looking at apps that might be good for learning, but there's also teachers with apps. And then there's also like Balefire and other um, app reviewers, Children's Technology Review. So we've put together kind of a grid, um, a way of um, looking at the categories of app reviewers and then going through those channels to find the kinds of materials that are going to be best for your kids and it, for their particular needs in your particular classroom. And helping teachers to basically first give them the time, as you said, so that they can get into those um, those new resources and to, to explore and to find the materials, but then talk together about what's going to work and what's not going to work for their kids. Um, that's really key. And then the other piece is to not focus so much on the app, but to recognize it needs to be embedded in whatever environment or um, learning activity you're doing in your classroom. So to not put all of the emphasis on the app, to use that maybe as a, a springboard um, or certainly as something that could help children get a little more practice, but to really build an environment of literacy learning both online and offline around the entire um, classroom and also we think it's really important for the kids to be getting out and doing field trips and, and doing um all sorts of, whether it's science or gardening activities, whatever it might be that helps children want to learn about the real world as well. And that's going to build their literacy skills for sure. We, I talk about it oftentimes with our teachers as thinking about the ecosystem of learning uh, and saying kind of if this, if you just have one species or one tool or one resource, then you're, you're going to have some problems as you're thinking through. I also want to point out that on uh, that tapclickread.org slash learn, um, you've made a connection and, and said, here's some, here's some of the research and handing that to educators as well. Uh, so really a good focus on not just, hey, believe us, but also putting, uh, giving educators a little deeper capacity to understand some of that, some of those pieces. I, th I think sometimes we, we miss that uh, chance. We just say, oh, just trust us. There's research that supports this. Uh, and instead you're saying, hey, take a look at the, the, the most recent research. That way you, you're better equipped to, to evaluate some of these resources. We've taken a lot of time to be culling through the research and to making sure that we're kind of hitting all sides of, of the issue here. Um, and what we've done as well is pulled in research on literacy and, and early reading skills generally and making sure that we apply what we've learned from what we might call more traditional literacy skills and, and what's really working for young kids. And we apply that to the digital world. Um, and so one of those, those key points, and as I mentioned earlier, is to just recognize how important conversation and kind of what is often called dialogic reading is with young children, no matter what medium you're using with them. So whether it's a, a print book or you're pausing a video to, to stop and talk for a moment about what you've seen, or you're playing an app together and you're taking a moment to stop and ask, why do you think um, this was this is the next step? Or why do you think this character is going to do this? Or even if they're using a, a game like, My, um, sorry, like Minecraft, where they're able to really build um, some things themselves, to take some moments to be with them while they're playing, to ask questions and help them develop their vocabulary about what they're what they're building or why they've created that village or why they want that roller coaster to be designed in this way. And those are just incredible opportunities for 
language development for kids. And we know that from the research even before the days of mobile technology. And we just need to make sure we apply it to the world of mobile technology. I wonder if it doesn't always occur to educators to to think through that because of how kind of personal we think of our devices as. Um, I, I'm thinking about my own use of my my laptop or my tablet or my phone, and I don't. I mean, what you're talking about is a practice that totally makes sense and is definitely aligned with what I know about literacy. And then I think about when I sit down in front of my screen, it's to it's to get work done uh, and not to pause every once in a while and say, hey, everybody, here's here's the email I just sent and, or here are the emails I just read. Um, and so I'm wondering if part of this shift in practice for educators is is because of their own ingrained personal habits with with how they interact with devices and screens. For many years, um, and I think this still for, for sure happens in like kindergarten or first grade classrooms, you'll have um children that are kind of supposed to sit out, um, sit, sit over to the side by themselves, put their headphones on. And, you know, whether it's a, a print book with an audio recorder next to them, or maybe it's an ebook, but they're supposed to be kind of quote, doing it by themselves. And there certainly are moments for that. And, and just in parenting, there's going to be moments when, when you'll need to do that. But if we do only that for young children and don't have those moments when we can kind of sit with them and learn a little bit about what they're learning at the same time, then we've really missed these opportunities for conversation and social interaction and, and understanding what children are understanding. <laughs> you know, it's all this kind of these, these meta pieces of learning that are so key. And some of the best educators are those who are thinking all the time, what is my child, the student really understanding right now? What question might I be able to ask to make sure that I'm um, assessing and I'm able to kind of figure out what they know and understand about what they just read? Um, and you'll miss those opportunities if you just have them sitting in the corner with their headphones on looking at an ebook. So I want to ask one last question. Uh, and, I, and it is about conversation, but it's about a different one. Um, I think, uh, especially if you are a new parent of a young child who's entering into the preschool early years, kind of primary years, um, or if you're somebody who maybe has a student who's going through, but all of a sudden there's this technology in the classroom, I think it might be easy to think of, to either villainize technology in digital spaces or to feel like, well, the teacher is the expert, so they will help my, my, my kid navigate this space. What are some good conversations or pieces of information educators should think about in communicating with families and parents about screen time and, and early literacy uh, skills and ideas? Educators may feel like they are not quite sure how to engage in those conversations with families um, or may almost be embarrassed that they don't have all the answers <laughs> for families. Um, so there's a there are a couple, I know that feeling. <laughs> right. Like, oh, wait, they're going to ask me about this and I don't really know what to tell them. Um this is anecdotal, so it's not based on a solid longitudinal study or anything like that. But one of the things that I've learned over the years and going to visit classrooms and also doing a lot of interviews and focus groups with family members is that they really um, are okay with the idea that a teacher may not know all the answers and that this a partnership between teachers and parents is a, a really kind of strong path to take instead of making an assumption that um, teachers are going to have all the answers and they're just going to bestow all this knowledge on parents and parents are just going to somehow kind of absorb it all. Like that's not, that's not really how it's working. And often parents do have 
incredible um, array of knowledge themselves about what's working for their children. They also, um, given the diversity in our country of all these of families from, from many different places, speaking different languages at home, coming from different um, ethnic or national, their own kind of cultures, there's a wealth of knowledge that teachers can learn from parents about how they're engaging with their children or what some of their traditions are. And so setting up moments where there can be a two-way conversation between parents and teachers um, to be understanding what is going to work best for their kids. I mean, that that's key. We, we need more opportunities in our and just kind of our public education system for that to happen so that it's not just at the late October parent child teacher conference for 15 minutes, but that it's some, somehow built into kindergarten preparation programs, maybe built into the first couple of weeks of school. We enable parents to um, tell more about what's happening in their own household so that teachers um, have a better sense, um, it, but certainly in a non-judgmental way. And, and all of those things that I'm saying apply, whether we'd had technology in the mix at all. But I would say that now that we're in a world where technology is such a question mark, it's more important than ever to be asking these questions or to be open to conversation about how families are using mobile technology in the home or, or what kind of access they have, or do they know that the library down the street um, is open late on Thursday nights, and that's a good way to be able to um, use use the internet and, and gain more information about things that might help their children. I mean, having opportunities to talk about where technology fits and do it in a non-judgmental way is really key. And and I keep stressing non-judgmental because parents will kind of shut down and not want to talk if they feel like they're being judged. And I'm saying this certainly as someone who's done a lot of focus groups on this, but also as a parent who has been in those situations myself where you almost like want to pretend that you didn't show your child that video the other night because you think you're going to get looked down on for doing so. And that's not the way the real world works. And many families are using all sorts of different kinds of media with their kids. And if you take the judgment off of it and just look for learning opportunities, no matter what types of materials children are using, then you can really open up conversation. Well, and I think we, we sometimes miss some of the, the easiest questions to ask students uh, and children are the ones that we forget to ask with, with uh, adults. So saying, hey, what are you wondering about uh, or how might we do this? Um, I think re- really have opened up doors uh, for the adults, uh, both from a, an educator side and from a, a partnership with, with families and parents as well. So I think that that point is well taken. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much uh, for taking some time to talk today. This has really helped uh, get some answers to that question of, of what we need to be thinking about. I really appreciate it. Every time I talk with you, I think, oh, I just got a little bit smarter. So that's always a nice feeling to have. Oh, that's very kind of you, Zach. I'm looking forward to more conversations like this. We keep learning more all the time, um, different children in different circumstances and recognizing that their context and their own situations really um, matter for their learning is key to this too. So glad to have the opportunity. And, and if folks want to find you on social media, where should they look? So yeah, I'm on Twitter, just at Lisa Guernsey. Um, Guernsey is spelled G-U-E-R-N-S-E-Y. And at New America, the Learning Technologies Project often is blogging about issues like this. We have a newsletter that comes out um, for all of our education content every Wednesday, and you can sign up if you go to newamerica.org. Great. Thanks so much, Lisa Guernsey. It has been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Zach. 
Hey, Amal. Hey, Zach. You may not remember, but this episode of Your EdTech Questions is brought to folks by ISTE membership. I do remember. You do remember. Okay, good. I do, yeah. For a limited time, members can access a three-month trial of Nearpod Gold Edition, along with a $100 voucher to spend on digital lessons. That's an awesome resource. I think so. I mean, Nearpod offers a large library of award-winning lesson plans. I don't know which awards, but I'm, I'm guessing pretty good ones. They won them. They, they did win them. It's not like they were just given. And they're all searchable by topic and grade level. You know, want to guess where they can go? Can I find it also at isti.org slash membership? Oh, you nailed it. Yes. Boom, Zach. Did you hear that? Did, did I Did I hear what? Did you hear how I was right? I made the correct prediction. <laughs> what prediction do you think was correct? Well, Lisa, just so we're clear. Lisa talked about how it's not just the tools that matter, but it's the purpose of them and how we use them that matters. It was totally what I said in the intro. Okay, well, that was well, that was one thing that that you and Lisa had in common. But I, I would say that in her answer to our EdTech question, she said more than that. Can we maybe agree? Oh, that, she said so that much. That is true. I loved listening to your interview with her. I took so many notes. Also, uh, Amal. Yes. Boom. Boom. I was what? also right. Oh, you were. I noticed that too. Okay, so what were your? If you had to pick three big takeaways mm. from. Lisa had to say about uh, little brains and screens what, and, and reading, what, were they be, what would they be? Um, my first big takeaway would be when she talked about kind of earlier in the interview where she was talking about the context that I didn't really know about where the research came from, where a lot of it was grounded in children's television and thinking about how kids um, are either really understanding something or following a story and the ways the research had led her to understand the ways that kind of young readers' cognitive needs need to be met by the medium. I loved when she talked about like, like flashbacks are really hard to understand in TV or in radio, that that's something that young minds have. Did to you watch. just say flashpads? No, did I? <laughs> I meant to say flashbacks. Oh, that sounds more like what you were trying to say. I did mean to say flashbacks, that, that, was, that those are tough for young kids. Um, and I loved that she talked about um, how young kids, and and this is true, I think, in high school also, um, learn better when they're talking to another adult person, whether that's their teacher or their parent, when there's kind of a guide who can help them process that information and reflect on it. I really loved that part of the conversation a lot. I learned a lot there. And that was two. What is your third? Um, I was really struck by the ways she, this is kind of an overall takeaway. I was really struck by the ways that so much teaching and learning just translates across every spectrum. Um, the ways that what she was describing with really young readers um, in terms of literacy is stuff that I think about at the high school level, that it works in traditional environments or more progressive ones, that it works across different media that you might use. But it's really always about, you know, good teaching is good teaching, you know, best practices kind of in the ways we think about them and how we balance the ways we use tools and the purpose of the tools and the ways we align our objectives to them and the ways we pay attention to the engagement in the room and, and all of that matters across the board. And I love the way she talked about that, especially when we think about technology and young students. Do you, do you have a question for me? What did you take away from that conversation? What did you love the most? Oh, GML, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I would say that the first 
and biggest piece uh, that I took away from that conversation was that the tiniest fraction of literacy apps actually have literacy experts involved in their creation. I know. And that it just it blew me away. Um, and, it, and it wasn't – it shouldn't be a surprise, but it also I think speaks to the need of – of the time and the space. And I would say that would be my second piece is, is uh, her point about uh, giving teachers and, and all educators in a system time to think through and look at and really evaluate uh, an application for early literacy before you ever put it in front of a kid. I think that was my second uh, takeaway. And my third comes from uh, her conversation about families mm-hmm. and and the importance of valuing what's being done in the home in how we think about what we're doing in schools absolutely and uh, and making making those connections make sense and then embedding those into our own practices as educators i think that's that's incredibly important yeah especially in the ways that home doesn't look like one thing for all of our students that was a really powerful moment so amal let me ask you a question Shoot. do you think we have turned this EdTech question into an EdTech answer. I have been so answered. I feel great about it. I love how much I learned in this conversation. Me too. And I hope that is the same for our listeners. Thank you again for listening to Your EdTech Questions, and ISTE podcast. You can find me on Twitter at MRChase and... You can find me at Hello Homeroom. And you can tweet your questions with the hashtag YourEdTechQuestions at ISTE, I-S-T-E. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.